Welcome to the SCMS Classical Conversation podcast, recorded live at Seattle Chamber Music Society's 2018 Summer Festival. I'm King FM's Dave Beck, and I hope you enjoy these in-depth conversations with festival musicians. By the way, you can find more podcast episodes and details at seattlechambermusic.org and at king.org. Make sure to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And now, on with today's Classical Conversation. Before we move on to other topics, I want to make a short stop at Ravel and your recording of uh, Gaspard de la Nuit. I guess Treasurer of the Evening is one translation that I've heard. Uh, we'll talk about it, but this is, uh, first of all, a section of Ravel's music evoking the night. It was composed in 1908. Ravel's evoking here in this in this part of the piece. Uh, well, I mean, in this case, it's not a mystery or or a guess. I mean, he he the uh, Gaspar de la Nuit is is three pieces um, that were written on three poems uh, by Lucius Bretrand, uh, and each one uh, deals with a different kind of dark and gothic theme. This particular one, Scarbo, uh, is a poem about this imp or or this little demon. Um, that haunts uh, the, the person's uh, dreams and, or, or keeps them awake, I guess. Um, and he talks, the poem talks about uh, lying awake uh, and, and just wondering what those noises are. What did, what did he just see? The, all this, this um, kind of little dwarf or uh, imp um, appearing and disappearing. And uh, of course, Ravel made the, the, the creature much more menacing and, and, and uh, uh, um, dangerous than than the poem, and and it's one of the most terrifying uh, and and incredible virtuosic pieces for for piano. And again, we see how different composer, apart from Schubert, deals with poetry one way, how Ravel deals with poetry another way, deals with poetry, and and um, it's it's one of the most technically difficult pieces ever written, but also one of the most ingenious. Um, depictions of, of poetry and music that I, I think ever 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 was. Well, again, as the conversation unfolds today, we'll uh, come back to this because there's a great literary uh, through line that runs through your recording called uh, "Darkness Visible," yeah. and, and uh, I know you have a great interest in literature and, and poetry, and um, we will we will talk a little bit more about that as we continue. 
Reading a recent interview you did about this position you'll be taking on next year at La Jolla uh, as director of the Summer Chamber Music Festival there, you said, chamber music has always been in some ways central to me, whether I was playing with orchestras, playing solo, or with smaller ensembles, it's always been the basis of my ideas about music. Collaboration that involves listening, interaction, and curiosity. And for me, this basically brings all of these things together. Um, tell me how that foundation in chamber music was established for you in such a deep way. Well, I mean, the, it really started um, from when I was a, a student and, and, and got together with a few, um, a few of my colleagues and we played together for fun and, and, and that type of, um, first of all, the personal fun was, was, was addictive. The fact that you can, the, the kind of interaction uh, between people and, and, and musical and personal interaction is, is, is um, uh, intoxicating. But for me also, just all those sounds made my, my ideas about music so much richer. I mean, I, I think if you play the piano as a piano alone, your, your uh, uh, music making will be poorer for it. Um, because when I, play, when I play, I always try and think, what does this sound like? Does it sound like a cello? Does it sound like a voice? Does it sound like a, an orchestra? Does it sound like... I mean, how do you... Because one of the great things about the piano is that it's able to, to emulate and, and uh, suggest so many different sounds. And I think if you don't have those sounds in your mind's ear, you won't be able necessarily to reproduce them on the piano or, or, or look for them. So for me, um, if I play with a, with a, a cello or a violin or an oboe player, um, that informs the way that, you know, that I play a line, that I breathe, that I, you know, the kind of resistance that you use, the kind of timbre that you use. So, um, and then of course I've spoken already about, about how central it is to playing uh, with, orchestra, with an orchestra, the yes. kind of the, 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 this, that type of communications. So um, for me, chamber music is kind of, uh, um, it's not separate. Um, I think we, as pianists, we're asked so much to kind of focus and separate. Um, oh, you're either a Beethoven pianist or a Rachmaninoff pianist. You're either a chamber music pianist or a soloist. Mm -hmm. You're either this or that. And I, that's not how composers thought. Mm -hmm. That's not how I think. That's not how um, I like. That's not how I think about music. I think, for 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 Schubert, um, for example, um, a song is not different than a string quintet. That's not different than a symphony. They're just different expressions of musical ideas. Um, there was no. The fact that he wrote a, a string quartets well doesn't mean that he couldn't write for piano. Um, and I mean, as a pianist, I'm, I just have so much, as a listener, I have so much um, curiosity um, that I feel all these things should talk to each other. Mm -hmm. So chamber music, solo, uh, orchestra, different repertoire, it all feeds into the same kind of source. Yeah. You have a beautiful recording with the cellist Elisa Weilerstein uh, that I want to share with our audience. And, um, it, it really speaks to your idea of how a particular instrument or instrumentalist influences you. Uh, let's listen to it a bit and we'll, we'll talk about your collaboration with her.
telling you before, we are so lucky as cellists that one of the few instruments that Chopin wrote for, <laughs> besides the piano, was the cello. He wrote that great sonata that you've uh, recorded. And um, How did you come to collaborate and uh, record with Elisa? The origin of the story is not extremely, um, I don't know, exotic. Uh, we have the same manager. So <laughs> my, uh, 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 my manager came to me and said, you really you have to uh, play together. I mean, I, I've rarely seen, uh, heard two people that I think will hmm. get along so well musically. And and, um, and I was like, I'm not really interested uh, in having a duo. Uh, I mean, I, it's not, it wasn't something I thought about. Hmm. And, and Elisa was the same. I was like, really? Um, but then we, we thought, why not? And, we, and um, I was in Boston at the same time, and, and she at the time lived in Boston, and we thought, oh, let's just get together and, and, and read a couple of things. And it was, yeah, it was instantaneous. We just, um, we played together. I think actually the Chopin was one of the first things that we, Chopin Sonata was one of the first things we read. And yeah, it was just uh, uh, um, clear that we have to um, do something uh, together. and. Um, <laughs> the funny story was that we uh, we one of the, the first thing we ever did together uh, was a live radio broadcast uh, in Boston WGBH uh, before a celebrity series concert in in Jordan Hall. Both of those things are pretty high profile engagements, but it was our fir very first. We didn't have a, that much time to rehearse, but again, it was such a uh, an instantaneous uh, uh, connection. And what I loved about about Elisa was that she responded to what I was doing as much as I was responding. She was, that there was, we could, you never knew what was gonna happen, um, but you knew that whatever you did, whatever corner you take, she'll take it with you. Yeah. Um, and so we, we played the Chopin Sonata live in, 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 on the air, on the air, and the, and the host said, oh, well, clearly you've been playing together for a long time. How long has it been? And, <laughs> We both froze, uh, and you could see Elisa just kind of thinking, thinking well, I don't want to insult the, the, the host. And, and she just said, without blinking, she said, a year and a half. <laughs> um, but uh, um, it was, uh, uh, yeah, it, was, it really was uh, um, a very natural collaboration, and, and we've really always enjoyed the playing together, so. We were very lucky to hear you and Bjorn Sang play in, in, in Seattle this week. Uh, is there something about working with a cello that's special? Uh, well, Ask you know, the cellist. Well, <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> 
Yeah, I, like it's you gotta make every, something up like well, the GDH every, interview. Every, yeah, well, every every <laughs> instrument has its its uh, its uh, um, you know rewards of of, play, of collaborating with. But I actually I have to say I I grew up um, loving the cello. I even considered at some point when I was a kid to to also play the cello as well as the piano and. Uh, Partly because my my uh, my mother, when I was growing up, she was a huge Jackie Dupre fan, uh, so I would hear those recordings night and day. Um, I mean, those those the Elgar concerto and the Dvořák concerto and this and that. And so I mean, I grew up with that sound, with that uh, kind of passion. Uh, uh, so I mean, the cello has always been in, in my in my mind as is one of my favorites for sure. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Classical Conversations podcast. Special thanks to Steinway Gallery of Seattle for hosting today's conversation. This podcast is a co-production of Seattle Chamber Music Society and Classical King FM. Bill Levy is our recording engineer. Daisha Clay produces the program. The Seattle Chamber Music Society staff provides technical support and oversight for the podcast, along with Seth Tompkins. To learn more, go to seattlechambermusic.org or to king.org. Remember to rate and review us wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Dave Beck. Mm -hmm.